Guys, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. My friend Cody Nelson of 20 plus years, he's the optics manager over there. If you guys need any optical needs at all, anything to do with glassing, binoculars, tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call. 602-399-3699. That is his cell phone. You can also text him at that number. You can also call him at GoHunt at 702-847-8747. I want to thank GoHunt Optics for their sponsorship of the podcast. Guys, I also want to let you know that GoHunt maps have been released and they are right now available to insider members. I have had an intimate role in this go hunt mapping process of uh, getting these maps just how we need them. They are awesome for Western hunters. Go hunt maps is built for Western hunters. Go Hunt's first focus has always been creating solutions for hunters like us to make them as successful as possible both for themselves and for the advancement of conservation. With the launch of Go Hunt Maps app, Western hunters are empowered to meet their needs all in one platform. Discovering hunts with filtering 2.0 and draw odds and preparing with expertise and gear and now take maps into the field. Guys, I've had an intimate role in helping develop the app and I think you're really going to like it. Make sure you're an insider member. So go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and sign up for an insider membership if you're not already an insider. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. To find out more, you can go to kuiu.com, kuyu.com. It's a direct-to-consumer company. You can order all of the products directly off the website. That's the only place you can get it. Go to kuiu.com. PhoneScope is the adapter I use to take videos and photos right from my iPhone 12 Pro, right through my spotting scope or binoculars. Go to PhoneScope.com, use the JScott21 promo code, and you're going to get a 10% discount. Guys, let's get right to the episode. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I've got my friend Brendan Burns, the chief hunting officer at Kuyu. Brendan, how you doing? doing well man how's it going uh, been a while yeah it's been a while i'm looking forward to having you on the podcast here getting a general catch up with you and and going to talk a bunch of different stuff here i want to talk to you about uh, conservation direct i want to ask you some questions about uh, canada being shut down due to covid um talk a little kuyu updates some product new new product stuff um but before we get into that uh what's been going on how are you Doing well, doing well, man. Just uh, you know, kind of like everybody, just excited that the world is opening back up. I've actually been, you know, had a little bit of travel here and there, which is kind of funny, you know, after so much travel in the past, you know, four or five years or whatever, and then to go to no travel and then like, you know, it's like a plane once a month. It's like, oh, whoa, you know, big big travel guy, you know. So it's it's kind of nice things are opening back up and um yeah, just just I, I, I think like everybody else, just just nice to see things getting back to normal. Yeah, I was curious, um, Montana-wise, um, you know, I, I spent some time, obviously, in Arizona, and I was in California, and now I'm in Idaho. Um, Montana, through the whole COVID thing, was it kind of regional throughout the state where there was mass mandates and all that kind of stuff, or was it pretty uniform um, all across the state, you know, grocery stores, all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, for a while, it was pretty pretty intense, and everybody had to wear a mask, and it was, you know, I would say it was 
um, seemed a bit over the top considering the number of cases and, and, and kind of like everybody else, I just kind of, I'm, I'm not a big socializer anyway, so I didn't, you know, I just kind of the normal stuff we would do. Um, we kind of just didn't do and, you know, ate more at home. And, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't live in a, like an apartment complex or anything. So I, I don't normally see people at my house and I've got my own archery range and stuff. So I kind of pretty self-sufficient, but it was, you know, I think like everywhere for a while. And then there was some pushback. And, um, I think some of the larger, I wouldn't call them, let's not call Bozeman, Missoula metropolitan areas, but like, um, places like Billings and I would say up Kalispell and all those areas kind of opened up first and Bozeman and Missoula probably were the most restricted, I would say. And, and, uh, but you know, we got back fairly quickly to where it was, you know, semi-normal and restaurants were getting open and, you know, I mean, obviously the governor dropped the entire mass mandate. My kids were in school the entire time, which I was super grateful for. Like my kids never missed a day of school during the entire thing. I mean, they were off last year, you know, from March after spring break, they were off, but this year they went to school every day, uh, which was amazing. So, you know, I think you were, you know, it's nice to be in a place that was just, we would just have a far less population and we were, you know, it, it wasn't overwhelming and, uh, as super restrictive and <clears throat> yeah. Like I said, I'm not a huge socializer. Um, the no restaurants, you know, restaurants being shut down was just more uh, more inconvenient on some of the stuff for sure. Sure. I mean, with Kuyu being based out of California, I'm sure that I think until the 15th of June, California is still, I think, one of the last states, you know, fairly pretty much on lockdown. Um, as far as the the customer showroom and such there at Kuyu, I would assume that, I don't know, but I would assume it was also shut down and not available to the public or what's, what's um, going for on with quite that? A, Yeah, for quite a bit of time. And to be honest, I haven't been to California in over a year. Um, and I, I honestly can't seem think of the next time I'll go there. I mean, we, we have remote work kind of figured out, especially in my role. And um, we have quite a bit of people that work remotely. So it's not been, I would say we were, we were very, very, accustomed to working you know by zoom or teams calls and and all that stuff and you know i mean especially you know a lot of the overseas stuff like um so it, it kind of didn't miss a beat company wise um i didn't handle any of that stuff in california i, I honestly can't even comment because i haven't been down there since I, I wasn't there during the entire year of 2020 yeah. um so with that being said, you, you bring up a good point, and I think it's interesting. I think people in general, but companies and and how to conduct business, people have kind of adapted to this new style, and I think it's going to be real interesting to me over the next handful of years to see how some of the different companies are able to transition either back to the way it was or maybe not even go back um, to, you know, having lots of people in the office and, and that type of thing. Um, just curious what your thoughts are, not only with Kuyu and, and, you know, other, you know, companies and brands that you're familiar with and, and just, you know, your, your general business knowledge. What are your thoughts on, you know, the way that companies conduct business and, and what may change? Well, I, I've worked remotely since 2009. I mean, Jason hired me, and I guess it would be in September of 2010. And so I've worked remotely for over a decade. So I was super adapted to it. And I think a lot of people that work with us are. And just, um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely new. I mean, there are definitely things where you need to be in person. I, I believe nothing that, that I personally do. But I, I think it's going to change everything. I mean, I don't think these massive office complexes and people living there, I think it's proven 
you know, people can get a lot of work done at home, maybe more, uh, probably quality of life's better. I mean, when you look at places where the cost of real estate um, or places that are super expensive to live, whether it be in the cities and stuff, I, I think it's going to change everything. Obviously, I'm not a, uh, a you know, I, I just, I, I've been doing it for a long time. So, I like, it was really, it was actually funny to see people that had never worked remotely kind of starting to, to, to get into it, I mean, it right, right, yeah. yeah right off the bat i had to i definitely sent a few people emails and be like hey man a, a two-man zoom call is called a phone call you don't have to send me an invite <laughs> you know like just just pick up the phone and call me like it's not that big of a deal and yeah you don't have to you know like nobody's watching you or anything like just get your work like it, it, it was kind of interesting to see but i think a lot of people and i, I think probably efficiency went on I me mean, look at you know, driving into an office and taking lunch off and stuff. I mean, like, I don't know, like I said, I've always found it better to work that way. I think it's going to change everything. I think, uh, you know, commercial office, real estate type stuff is there, there, you know, it's disrupts thing. And, and I think people can just, they can live where they want to. I mean, for example, like, you know, again, when I started at Kuyu, they were, <clears throat> I, I was like, there was only, like amped about the job, took it immediately, but it was like, I'm never moving to California like that. And, and he knew that, like, it was just like, that's not an option. And we'll make it work. However, like, you know, obviously you wouldn't, but it just wasn't an option. I think that's going to be a way for a lot of people. And, you know, I think just a higher quality of life and, <clears throat> you know, I mean, things, things change. I mean, think about the cell phone. I mean, that, that was a weird thing. Everybody had a, was tied to a landline and then all of a sudden everybody got a cell phone and now, you know, you can conduct business most of the time by yourself. Well, that, that's, that's a 20 year change that is, that has reshaped how we do business. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I agree. I don't know the answer to it, but it's definitely going to be different. For sure. Um, Brendan, last hunting season, let's call it the COVID season. Um, tell us about uh, how your fall went, elk, elk hunting, bear hunting, whatever you were doing. Um, how I, I assume you had to stay a little closer to home. How did your season go last year? Season was awesome. I, I was super fortunate in the fact that I drew, I've been applying for a go tag for 29 years. Um, one that I should have drawn a long time ago and, and finally drew it last year. So it was like right by my house, which was great. I spent 20 days scouting and 16 days hunting. It was phenomenal. So I did not go to camp. I did not go sheep hunt last year. I had a hunt in, in Canada booked last year and didn't, didn't, wasn't able to go, got postponed. <clears throat> so I, I made up for it by, you know, this, uh, how to mountain goat here in Montana uh, I also drew an area seven tag in Wyoming for elk. So I cashed in, you know, two sets of points. I mean, two, you know, that couple, couple really good tags in a, in a year where everybody's close. So that was awesome. Um, yeah, I had a tremendous goat hunt in a, in a pair on a really, really big billy that I've been watching since early August. And it was, it was a really tough hunt. Like I thought it was going to be a lot. I, I didn't think it was going to be easier, but I thought I would have an opportunity to get it done faster than I did, but it, you know, 20 days of scouting and, 16 days of hunting spent about 18 days in a tent and uh you know finally you know just just one of those hunts where you just kind of zigged and zagged and nothing went right for me and just had to just keep grinding and i ended up arrowing a great big billy i've been watching all year which was ended up awesome and finally caught him in the right spot at you know snuck into 10 yards and arrowed this you know big horse headed 10 year old awesome billy that you know hunt that i've been dreaming about since i was a kid that was it was just awesome hunt like was it a was it a function of like he wasn't in the right spot, or there were some days you didn't see him, or or it was across the valley, or tell us like some of the struggles that you went through on that. 
A couple of things. It was definitely some pilot error. I mean, I made some bad moves. I mean, I, I stalked them. A you know, generally after their second bet of the day, like they should be there. And, you know, I'd go move around them on this guy. And it was, you know, big steep areas, lots more timber than you typically think of where goats live, where, where I caught these big billies was really a lot of timber and pretty isolated, like, you know, pretty tough stuff to get into. And it was basically three and a half hours around on every stock. And there was just a couple of times, and I wasn't willing to blow them out looking for them. Like, okay, they're there. So you go three and a half hours all the way around and you move in on where they were bedded. And even if, and it's such steep stuff that even if they moved a hundred yards, you know, if you were across and I ha I didn't have anybody flagging for me, like I hunted mostly with Matt Forsyth was with me filming and photographing, but I didn't have anybody back that could flag me, which I, I would have got it done earlier had, had I had that. But um, yeah, it was just, it was just tough hunting and, had, you know, bad wind. They just had some weird, weird canyons with bad wind. A couple times got over and, you know, three and a half hour stock. He's not in the bed. I, I put him in and sit there for a while he's not there and then you go back all the way around because we're going to try and relocate him and he's 75 yards you know just a little down and a little left and it was just like yeah i probably could have eased down to find him but didn't i you know and again i had i really had two great big billies that <clears throat> for, i was gonna you know like i was gonna kill the, the billy with my bow like i mean i guess late late in the year i would have switched to a gun if i absolutely had to but it would have been an epic fail on my part it, like for me personally so um, I, I just was taking it slow. I wanted to have a really good opportunity when I did, um, did get on one with a bow. So I, I, <clears throat> I was being fairly cautious and I just, just didn't catch him in the right spot. And, and like I said, I put on a lot of miles. I hunted really hard, lost a bunch of weight, wore a pair of boots out. Like it was, it was it's just a tough, tough area. And especially, you know, in, until you've hunted goats, it's like, there's, there's areas that have lots of nannies and kids and there's young billies, which are not that smart, but the, the couple of ghosts that I were hunting, they they'd obviously seen their buddies killed off in years past, and they were they were just crazy spooky, like way spookier than I thought they were. The area I drew had 34 permits, so it, it wasn't like I was the only dude hunting. I never saw another hunter because I was hunting some really remote stuff that was really rugged. But um, th the reason that they were there is they had been pushed there in years past, and they were smart. I mean, they were really smart, like um, you know, and and. But then, you know, I just kept, just kept after it, kept after it. It's just one of those hunts that just kicks your ass and you just got to keep going and keep after it and just stick to what you're doing. I never took, you know, never even got, you know, in my mind that I would have to switch to a ride. I was just like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then, yeah, I'm like October 10th, I was glassing, you know, I was about five miles away and I, I knew it was the Billy I'd been after. I glassed him up in a spot I had seen him before. And I actually, on a little bench where I had, I had actually camped one night and he was bedded there with another Billy. And I was like, oh, well, he's there. And it took me about four or five hours to get over to him. And once I caught him in the right spot, um, slid right, right up on him, um, had a look like there was two billies bedded together. One of them was a giant that I was after. And one of them was a really nice billy. <clears throat> and after 16 days, I slid over this little ridge. I was 10 yards away. Wind was really hauling, you know, really going in my face. Good. And I peeked up three times and every time I peeked up, he was looking the other way. And finally I was just like, I backed off and I was like, and I, pr I was pretty sure it was the big one, but I was not 100% sure. I was just like, you know what? It's been a long season. They're both nice billies. I kind of talked myself into like, I was pretty sure it was him, but in reality, I was, let's call it 50-50. And I was like, <laughs> if I peek up one more time, he's going to bust me. And I was just like, I knew what was going to happen. I was like, I'm just going to draw and walk over the top and shoot him. And I I'm sh I think it's him, and but it might not be. And the other one, like, but this is probably my chance right here to arrow the goat. I was, I was pretty sure. Anyways, I walked 
you know, I finally got the full draw and walked over on him and, and thumped him at 10 yards and he rolled a long ways down. I, I, he, he died probably within 15 seconds, 10 seconds. He just, you know, kind of tripped going out of sight and then shot down the chute and pinballed through the timber. It was really steep. It took me like 10 minutes to find him. And, you know, I'm walking down there. I'm like, Oh, I hope it's the right one. I hope it's the right one. I knew the other one was, was a nice solid Billy, but the one was a giant. And, and even when I shot him at close range, I could not tell if it was him or not. Cause it just, breaking his off shoulder and he rolled over and then just shot down the chute and anyways got down to him and it was such a relief like i when i finally found him he was lodged under a, a log and had taken like a 50 foot drop and i uh, got down to him and i could see right away i was like oh it's the big one so it all ended well but i wasn't 100 percent sure until i actually put my hands on him and so that was a really i don't sorry long long rambling on about a um but that was that was that was the goat hunt it was uh it was you know i've been dreaming about it since i was 12 years old when I first started applying and, you know, to, to wait until you're 43 to get, uh, or yeah, I guess 42 to go get that tag. And, and, uh, it was, it was just one of those bucket list things that I wanted to do and, and kill it. I wanted to kill it and great big Billy. And it was just, uh, everything I hoped it would be, but definitely not an easy hunt. So I was, I was thrilled with that. Now, how many mountain goats have you killed in your life? Two, two of the bow, one, one in the Chugach and then one here. Those are only, only two I've hunted. So Now, in Montana, uh, is that one and done? You're, you're done now? Seven-year wait. Okay. Seven-year wait. Yep, yep. But in reality, like I said, I was I was, 0, I was 0 for 28 on one in 10 odds. Like, I had actually really horrible luck. Like, the odds were not that bad. I've had between one and four and one in 10 odds for 28 years and never drawn. So, it's like really bad luck. And I'm not going to complain about luck because I drew a sheep tag, which, you know, is you know, I've, I've had more than my fair share of good luck, but I just didn't have great luck in drawing that tag. So, but it was a hard hunt. And like, I, you know, seven year wait isn't going to bum me out. Like I would, I wouldn't do two of those in a row. So how um, did that shape, um, it kind of took a bunch of time out of your elk season, didn't it? So, well, I had, I, so I drew area seven in Wyoming and I did not hunt elk in Montana last year as it turned out. So I had a moose hunt in Alaska, um, with Lance and then I had a, uh, and then I drew area seven in Wyoming. So I spent, 20 days scouting. I spent about five days hunting early for goat, which started September 1st. Didn't get it done. And then I went to Wyoming and spent 10 days in Wyoming. I killed a, a bull that's 359 in Wyoming. Um, it, but it was tough hunting as well. It was like, it was the biggest temperature swing I've ever hunted in. Like on, I, I can't remember what day it was, but about seven days in or eight days in, it was, it was 93 degrees at four o'clock in the afternoon. And there was little red activity. We'd seen a few bulls. I was hunting with AJ Kissel and uh the um dax mccarty at wagon hound um a couple couple days like we went down there and hunt on the wagon hound ranch which was phenomenal i've known dax for probably 20 years and he just said hey come on down when you do draw and so um it was it was great and uh so yeah it was like 93 degrees at four o'clock p.m i don't know if it was on the eighth or ninth or seventh or one of those days and the next morning it was 21 degrees with 16 inches of snow blowing sideways. So it was the biggest temperature swing I'd ever hunted through. And we went out that day. And so we just had some horrible conditions. They weren't bugling at all. And I finally ended up uh, spotting up a big bull like a mule deer, just bedded with a couple other bulls. The biggest bull I saw in the entire hunt. Got lucky and, you know, snuck up on him, just spawned stock and shot him at 50 yards. And <clears throat> the, the nicest bull I saw in the area. So I was, I was, I, I was lucky to get a, a bull that big. And, and, and again, just right place at the right time were you crunching um, in the snow walking up to him or was it still fluffy it, it was pretty crunchy and i didn't i actually picked a route where i didn't have to get get on him and i've, I've got a little video of it 
but it was it was a pretty tough stock. I, I really took it slow and um, actually made a weird hit on him. Like thought I smoked him and made a weird hit on him and left him. Uh, let's see, yeah, left him overnight and then in a AJ and I went back in there the next day just to to look to hopefully we could find him and picked up some blood and and. My buddy, I got to give a shout out to my buddy, AJ Kissel. The guy is a hound dog. He blood trailed it for over a mile, like a drop at a time, mixed snow a little bit here and there and picking the tracks where he went. Like it was an unbelievable trailing job. And we had actually given up, like just, we're like, man, I don't know. We got to a place we couldn't, couldn't figure out where he went. And we, you know, started doing circles and, you know, got up on a high point and weirdest thing. We're like, Oh, it's just glass. Maybe we can see some birds, which has never worked out once in my life. <laughs> and, got up on this point and uh aj's like there's a crow and he's like and there's another crow just flew out of that area over there and it was in, it was in september we started watching it and then there was a crow sitting in a tree and then there's one came flying through it was like man what are the odds that that's my elk you know and this is way over a mile from where i shot him and i was like well i'm gonna walk down there you never know and he's like yeah well, let's go check it out maybe we can circle up and oh i mean walk right to where the crow was and there's my elk landing there dead not not bloated not bloated nothing just like boom just like he had not died that long ago and um yeah he went like 1.4 miles and you know where did your hit hit end up being it was quartered um i thought i hit him quartered like steep quartered and it looked really good he actually went and laid down in like 50 yards and then we backed out like i was like oh he's gonna be dead and then he got up and walked off and i what i had actually hit him is further i had hit him right in like in the seam line in the ham mm. and went all the way up through him. And it just took a long time for him to die. Like I missed some of the really good stuff. I, I, I even when we dissected him, I was like, I, I cannot believe that bull went that far, but he just, I didn't quite get the good stuff. And just goes to show you, you got to look there. I mean, they, they have such a, I always say the same thing about elk. It's like, I've shot a lot of stuff, brown bears, moose, all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> I believe unreal, elk, aren't they? elk, elk unreal. these the strongest will live of any big game animal I've ever hunted hands down. Like th there's nothing that compares to them. They're just, they are freaking tough. They're just tough. So they're hardy for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So I was, I, I was actually thrilled to get out of there with a really nice bull. Um, just, yeah, got, had a lot of good luck with that. And then, um, yeah, at the end of the month, uh, I, I went home hunting goats all the way through that still didn't kill one. And then, uh, Lance had called me, they were like 14 for 14 on moose. And we've kind of had this thing where, like, hey, we go, we hunt together every year whenever we can. You know, this life gets in the way. You try, like, if anything comes up on, you know, not even short notice, just like, hey, you can come up the last few days, whatever. He called me, and me and Matt Forsyth flew up there on the 25th of September with five days left and went moose hunting with, uh, with, with Freelance. And on the last day of the season there, I ended up shooting a, uh, just a really big, awesome moose. And, like, we'll have a video, a film coming out here pretty quick with it, but I, I kill a really beautiful moose on camera, Lance and Lance and uh, Shane called it right into me and you know just awesome like great moose footage and big heavy old bull and and, and dumped him so like yeah I, I mean it, it was just a long season I mean I basically hunted every single day from hunted or scouted from July or from uh, yeah about July 25th until the, the 20th of or 15th of August or 15th of October sorry and then and uh, but yeah got had a, had a great fall long story short so Lance is one of a kind, isn't he? Yeah, it's great. We and like I said, it was just a cool thing. They had an awesome season. He's just like, hey, if you can get up here, and you know, the, the travel had just opened up, so it was like uh, the COVID testing wasn't quite as strict. And so, yeah, we we did COVID tests, and 
rolled up there and, and, you know, just like, Hey, whatever happens the last five days of the season, we'll see. And it turned out to be really good. And, yeah. It was just great. No, no complaints. Fantastic. Uh, Brendan, you also conservation direct is a project uh, that you uh, oversee and you're kind of in charge of and the head of uh, looks like you guys uh, about a week or maybe two weeks ago, just had your latest conservation direct project. Yeah, it was uh, like, you know, we're talking about the COVID stuff. So we, and I think I, I had told your, your listeners and stuff like we have a couple of huge projects got pushed last year and it's, I, I still can't really talk about them because until we get them, until they're totally finalized and I know when they're going to go about and that's when we'll get, you know, the customers involved. But, you know, last year was just a bummer on so many levels, but one of them was like, we have a couple really awesome projects that are just like right down the, you know, conservation direct is this, you know, company funded, company and customer funded projects, you know, start to finish. And we have a couple that are coming up, which will be, doing in 2021 that we were going to do in fall of 20, which, you know, you, you and I have talked about, but I'm, I'm just going to keep them quiet, but they are coming. And just like most things, just everything got canceled. I mean, just got put on hold and nothing got put on hold more than state agencies and stuff like that. I mean, they were probably the most restricted. So there was no helicopters with two people together. There was no, you know, getting people together to help out, whether it's a transplant or something like that. There was just, it basically like that all stopped for a year. So, you know, conservation is kind of like a, you know, actually the, the conservation direct, like it, it's kind of like a muscle, you know, like it's just, you got to use it. And so a uh, couple, like a couple months ago, I was just looking for a project just to kind of, just to do something in 2021, just get, get her, get the, get, just get the, just get the, everything working again and just put one together and do it. And I, uh, um, Jack, I ended up getting a hold of Jack Rob at the um, Nevada Department of Wildlife. And he's like, Oh, we have this guzzler that, um, that you guys could do and it uh i can't remember if it got somebody gave it back or I, I don't know what it was they usually have a sponsor for these guzzlers so we uh <clears throat> we gave the, the large donation to this guzzler and partnered up with uh, the fraternity of the desert bighorn in nevada which is just a really really cool organization that's been around for man close to like 40 plus years and just um just awesome and so we built the uh <clears throat> we were part of building the first ever um guzzler in the san antonio mountains which is down by tonopah um and it was a really cool project it was done on this guy so it was a really cool project to go be a part of and we went down and it was amazing and in a day and a half built this you know basically there was like 50 volunteers that showed up from fraternity of the desert bighorn and we brought six of us went down there um tj sanchez jason radikovich kevin wilkie kevin wilkerson Matt Forsyth and myself uh, flew down there <clears throat> and uh, it was amazing to see these guys put this guzzler together. And we, I mean, they put us to work. It was, this was not a, uh, a photo session or a, or a, uh, one of those things where you show up and get patted on the back for doing, I mean, like they dropped us in with a helicopter with all the other, you know, there was 40 other, uh, four, I think 46 volunteers. And man, these guys have this, this, this just the, it's just assembly line. They just have it figured out somebody's in charge here and they just, we just put us to work and we built a giant apron and a tube that connects to these, you know, to these big catch tanks and, and, and the actual guzzler where the sheep go in and a fence around it to protect it from wild horses. And it was an awesome project. And if anybody ever has a chance to go uh, do one of those in Nevada, I would highly suggest it. It's pretty amazing. It's the first one I've ever done. And it was just a cool project to kind of get, get the blood flowing again and get it, get some, you know, get some, obviously money donated towards conservation and some work towards that, but just basically to kind of just get back into action. I think it was the first one they've done in a little while too. So it was, uh, 
just a really cool project. And um, we do have some other really big projects coming up that I, as soon as we know they're going to go, I will, I will announce them. Um, and it's, like I said, it has, it's bummed me out. I guarantee more than anybody else that, you know, we had some big plans last year, right after the sheep transplant to do it. It's just everything, you know, just like everything came, everything ground to a halt. And so uh, it's nice to see everything getting rolling again. Let me back up just a second. Conservation Direct is basically a, a dream of yours to be able to see a need and fill a need without anything yeah. in between. It's basically how can you have the vision to partner with people to find a need that needs, you know, something that needs to be done for the benefit of wildlife and how can you literally just say, how do we make it happen? That's what Conservation yeah, so, Direct is, right? Correct. Yeah. It's. I mean, it is. Uh, it's a. It's a, something I came up with. It's a play on terms. Uh, like we're a consumer direct brand, meaning we cut out the middleman. We 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 take you directly from the source. We build it and we sell it, and there's no middleman. Like you know, and there's a lot of. And again, I'm not saying anything bad about conservation organizations. A lot of them do great things, but for us, like a direct connection with our customer, we did a sheep trend like design the sheep transplant paid for everything and then implement it like it's 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 our conservation wing at kuyu so conservation direct is basically pick a project fund a project finish it and go on to another project it's single project kuyu company and customer funded single project conservation projects and there's a couple things that have that are like in the ethos of conservation direct which is it has to promote or protect or create a hunting opportunity like we don't do conservation stuff that doesn't have anything to do with hunting like i mean we're a hunting brand so it's not preservation um, it, it's conservation no, we're not, we, yeah we're, we're not doing you know not that we don't care about uh dolphins and manatees and stuff like that what that's not our thing like we're it's, these are mostly sheep projects uh, you know that's that's what we identify as a brand but these are these are conservation projects that promote or protect or create hunting opportunities um and and they're like again we're not trying to solve you know like i, I think with a lot of conservation, it's like this just huge broad thing of, hey, we're going to try and save sheep. It's like, man, that's such a huge undertaking to do that. Like, we're going to pick a couple projects that are going to make a difference, a small difference in how sheep, uh, whether it's a new a, a new population, which we created three new populations in the West uh, last year. You know, like that. That's not solving all the problems, but it's a nice step forward, and it's actually doing something. Like, Conservation Direct is not a it's not an awareness wing like you know awareness there's plenty of awareness out there this is an action-based conservation um basically wing of kuyu so that's that's what it is so yeah. and it's it's company and customer funded like this project right here 50 percent of the money from this guzzler came from people who bought our uh stay wild conservation shirts on the website so the money when you buy one we have a and we have a new conservation shirt coming out all the money that comes from that which is like 100 percent goes to conservation direct and the people that buy those shirts, they, their money was used to uh, to to pay for the, the the infrastructure, the products, and all the stuff that went into the guzzler. Same thing with, and then half of it was paid by Kuyu. So it's company customer funded conservation directly from Kuyu. Brendan, if there's people out there listening that either a uh, have a need and think they have a project that that you might be interested in 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 a funding standpoint, or b if there's people out there listening that want to absolutely be on the list to be notified when you have these new projects coming out, what do they do? So uh, there's a 
if you go to conservationdirect.com or you can go to our website to kuyu.com and it's under conservation direct it's under our story i believe um there's a place where you can sign up and as soon as the next project like this project i didn't reach out to anybody we were limited on the number of people we could take this you know there's all the COVID stuff and whatever so this one was just a funding uh issue we wanted to get down there and put some boots on the ground and help out um, the next project will be company and customer funded and driven from a company standpoint. So uh, if you sign up at, at Conservation Direct, um, we have you in the database. And the next one coming up is going to be, um, will be customer participation and funded for sure. Um, and again, I wish I could tell you about it right now, but until it's finalized and we know the dates, I'm not going to get anybody wired up because I just, you know, with stuff canceling and stuff, I just don't, don't even want to go there. But it's something really cool in the works. Obviously, Jay, you know about it. It's going to be pretty cool. So, um, yeah, it's, you can sign up at Conservation Direct. And, and that's to either be a volunteer or if you want to be a donor. Um, or like both. I said, we, you know, yeah, or both, yeah. Because, like, on the sheep transplant we did to Antelope Island and the two to North Dakota, um, basically it was the total was 127000 a little less than 127000 50% of that came from customers' donation and 50% of that came from Kuyu. And so it was just like, and we funded everything, every single dime, nothing more, nothing less. And, uh, and it, you know, it's just a cool thing that it's our wing of conservation. There's a lot of ways to do conservation. That's how we choose to do it. Awesome, man. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, Canada. Um, it's very rare since 2010 that you haven't gone to Canada hunting. Um, and obviously with COVID and everything, Canada is still shut down. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they missed all of last late summer. Let's call yep. it, you know, the dull sheep type hunts. All of the other hunts, fishing trips, all of that has been on hold for obviously non-residents. Um, the way it looks, you probably know more than me, but I'm hearing that it's still closed. Uh, what are you hearing out there? Yeah, I've kept my, my ear to the ground pretty good on this one, and I've, I'm getting daily updates from people that know, and I've, I've, I've dug in. I've talked to some people in Ministry of Tourism, and, like, I, I'm <clears throat> fairly involved. Like, But, I, like, I will say I'm slightly off. So, right now, it's been shut down, basically, from the end of March last year until, let's just call it today. Um, if you're from the U.S., you're not going to Canada. Um, it's just, it's been totally closed down. Canadians have to, you know, they can come to the U.S., and they have to quarantine coming back. They've loosened that up a little bit, but at one point in time, it actually got more restrictive this winter, whereas you had to stay in a, uh, in like basically a, a government approved hotel and pay money and they brought your meals and all like it, it's been, and again, I'm not judging. I was just like, it's been a tough thing for Canadians, but the, the, you know, when it comes to the hunting side, it was completely shut down. They lost the entire 2020 season. Um, and now we're in 2021, and as of right now, it's not open to be. I, I will say I'm, I'm slightly optimistic in that there is talks now. There is actually a semi-plan in place. Um, so I'm super optimistic. I, I, I'm, I guess hopefully you will be more of a Are you optimistic for the July sheep season, or are you optimistic for potentially the fall, more of the fall months? We're six. We're six weeks away from the, or we're we're five weeks away from the NWT opener. I don't know about that. I'm not. I'm not tied enough. Like I'm hopeful. I just. I know a lot of those outfitters. I. I just absolutely think they're some of the nicest people on the planet. I hope they come to their senses and let them do business. It's it's a tragedy what's going on. Um, I, I their vaccination rate is very high. And I'm I'm probably diving into stuff that I'm not that qualified to say on. But I I, I just know like. 
they're just such great people up there. They're, you know, those, those areas have just, you know, there's not that many areas that are owned and I know all the people that own the areas and I just, I know it's how it's affecting them. And it, it seems like it's an undue, um, it's just, it's just affecting them more than anybody else. It doesn't seem like they're super, super, um, concerned about their well-being and well, how fast they're getting going. Let me ask you a couple going. questions about that, Brendan. Um, in the U.S., there was a bunch of PPP money. There was a bunch of you know different things where the government stepped in and actually was able to aid people in business where they could prove that their business was being affected by COVID. I'm asking a question that I do not know the answer to. The Canadian Outfitters, did Canada step up as a government level and do any subsidies to these companies or have these guys literally taken it on the chin? And are they you know taking having a full season where... You know, we're talking couple hundred thousand to million dollar businesses where you go and have no revenue. Was anything done? Is anything being done? And what are the ramifications of all of that? I, I wish I knew more on that side. And that's, it's kind of like asking people, you know, how are you doing? Is the government paying? Like, I mean, how much do you make a year? Like, I, I have not asked those questions. I, I don't believe it's been, let's just say I've been led to believe that it's not been enough. And, and, and nothing that they could do is going to make it right unless they open it up to allow these people to do business. I think just like restaurants, or anything else like PPP money or, you know, you know, subsidizing it, like I, that's all fine and dandy. And I, I don't know the details of that. So again, I'm, I'm I don't want to comment on sure. what I don't know, but I, I it, it's not been enough. And, and, and in reality, they just need to get back to like, these guys want to work. They love what they do. They want to work. They're in remote areas. Like I think the testing has been proven where, you know, I mean, you know, you're not going to get popular. Like, again, my, my personal opinions are that they're really scared about nothing at this point in time, considering how everything's opened up, but I'm not a Canadian. So I'll just, but I, I just want to see these people be able to get back and right. make a living at what they're doing, especially on some of them. You know, I don't, I don't know the details of how the ownership is laid out and all that stuff for them, but I can, I can only imagine like these areas are not cheap. They're not cheap to operate, you know, two seasons, could potentially be devastating to some of them. I don't know which ones. Uh, again, I'm just, you know, I just hope that it, it, it gets opened up. Even, you know, I know they're they're available to take Canadians, but, you know, there's just not a lot of Canadians that are going to pay full price for something that they live that close to. I mean, there's a few, but well, that you know, was, in reality, like... like. Sorry to interrupt, but that was another thing that I was thinking is um, here you potentially have, you know, I think of like Arctic Red where I went for doll sheep and, you know, all the places around there that when I flew in, you know, oh, this outfitter's here and this outfitter's here. Think of those sheep that literally have not, they potentially might not be hunted for two years. From a hunting perspective, talk a little bit about that and then talk a little bit about um, how these outfitters, once they do open up, how are they going to handle the people that were booked for 21, but the people that missed 20, like it's going to be a mess. It, it's a mess. And I like, they're all handling it different. There's, there's several offers that just pushed everybody a year. And I, I don't know what they'll do if they push two years. Some have, you know, sent the money back and canceled people, you know, and there's, I, I know there's, I've gotten call from guys that are like, Hey, I'm booked in 23. I got pushed to 24 now. Um, I'm 71. Uh, like, can you help me get like, and I've helped a few guys. They're like, I'm, I'm just not going to go. I'm going to try and go to Alaska. It's, it's really put a lot of pressure on Alaska. Like, I mean, they're, they're all booked with everything and it's jacked um, the price yeah, it's just, up in Alaska, hasn't it? I mean, it has oh, yeah, to because yeah. of supply and demand. It's doubled the price yeah. I would imagine. 
Yeah, and it's one of those things where I, I've had lots of calls where guys like, hey, if it opens up and there's some good deals, I was like, hey, guys, like, I, I'm the king. I've been preaching, like, if you're ready and stuff, there's good deals and all this. Like, uh, here's my prediction now. I don't think there's going to be a good deal on a sheep for three years. Like, I think supply and demand is so far out of whack. There's so many guys that have been pushed. Um, I, I don't see any deals happening for quite a while. Like, I really don't. I think the price is set. The demand is so high. People just want to go. And and people aren't canceling. Like, it's there's something about the fact that, like, when you're told you can't go, like, for me, for example, like, I mean, I hunt Canada just about every year. The fact that I was not allowed to last year, like, I really am feeling uh, 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 restricted to the fact that, you know, you can't just go to Canada and go hunting. So, it's, it's just there is no win in this thing. There's there's no easy answer, and obviously I'm not going to solve it, but um, I think just get letting these people, you know, I hope that they can just get back to what they do, what they do best and what they want to do because it's, it's not like, you know, you hear stuff like people like, oh, they don't, you know, hear, you know, it's like nobody's going back to work because of the, you know, they're, you know, there's, there's so much in unemployment and all that stuff. This is not the case. Every single one of these outfitters, they want to work. They want to go do well, what they, they do. Like, they love their job. They love. They love their do. job. You know. What about the animals? With the, animals? With the what sheep a, thing. What about the, the sheep? sheep thing is pretty interesting because number one, like all those areas up there, like they specialize in old rams. I mean, like, they they're able to control like the difference between some Alaska areas and NWT and the Yukon and BC is that they 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 are able to manage like because they're exclusive areas, they're able to manage their sheep. So. You know, like, for example, I've hunted a Bonaplume with Chris McKinnon a couple of times. He's had the oldest age average in the Yukon several times, multiple times in the last few years. I mean, it's over 11 years old. We usually can't save 11-year-old sheep. Like, 50% of rams die um, after 9 years old. So if you have 10 rams at 9, you have 5 at 10, you have 2 at 11, you know, 3 at 11 or whatever. And, and it might, it, that's just kind of an overall um, rule of thumb. But you know, there's not like they don't get to 15. Like they right. just they just don't make it. So, um, I, I I believe that everybody will not like they're not going to take more than they can take. They're gonna they're basically just lost a year. There's some old rams that are going to die. I think everybody those I don't know anybody up there that's going to overload their. I just think that there's just going to be less opportunity, and the guys that are booked forward are going to move. And you know, because I, I don't I don't think all of a sudden they're going to start shooting eight year olds to get everybody filled out. I just that that's not the style of the. Of, of people and the management that they have up there. They're all, they've, they far more care about their area than they do about money. Every one of them that I know. So I just think it's, it's just going to be, um, you know, it'll be great. The first guys that get in there um, for sure to miss a year. Like there's a lot of rounds. So that's why I just hope it opens up this year. And, and uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. They, they actually have, I've, I've been reading a bunch. They're, they're, they're talking about implementing a plan. So let's just, I like everybody. I just, I just hope that they can implement a plan that works for, you know, people that want to feel safe and they feel like, you know, they can, you know, testing and all that stuff. Like, I mean, I, I totally understand that some people, you know, if they're in a, um, in a health area where they don't want to be exposed to that, I totally get it. But I believe that there's a, um, hopefully they can get to a place where everybody feels safe and, and get back to, get back to normal. Yeah, for sure. Let's hope that happens. Um, yeah. switching gears here. I want to talk, uh, about some Kuyu updates, uh, I noticed uh, I just ordered, uh, I, I believe on Monday, let's see, last week, uh, the Gila was announced, uh, the, yep. the, the Gila line, and I went ahead and ordered uh, the Gila hoodie, long sleeve hoodie in every color, um, and I'm excited for it to get here. Talk about the Gila line. 
Yeah, it's been in the works for quite a while. Um, we were just searching for the right fabric, and um, it's basically a, a sun protection shirt. Um, it's a little different than what we've put out before. It's it's uh, you know basically designed for very hot weather sun protection. Um, it's got a little more stretch. Um, it's sized slightly up, um, I would say, and it's it's basically you know like a like something you'd wear in super hot conditions. It's been a um, it dries incredibly fast. Um, it's just, you know, like a lot of fishing type stuff. It's, it's similar to, to some of those, um, with our spin on it, but it's a, yeah, it's a sun protection, the Gila sun protection shirt. It's SPF protection and all that. Um, just, just really designed for those super hot days, um, when you're in the sun a lot. And again, I've got all the hooded ones now too. And they're like, I, it's a home run. I don't think they're going to last as long. I mean, we are selling far more than I, than, than we anticipated. So if you, um, if, if the, uh, sun protection shirt is something that you can see in your um, in your system. I would definitely order it sooner than later. I don't think they're going to last long. Because I've actually talked to a lot of people like, yeah, I ordered five of them. I ordered three of them. I ordered five. I was like, ooh, yeah, that, that stuff doesn't last long. And, and you know, again, it kind of comes back to COVID and all that stuff. Like uh, the lead times on products are we've done as just like the team at KU has done an incredible job through the whole pandemic, everything. Like we've really you know, just, they've just worked so hard to, to position us in a place where we have a lot of product and, uh, but you know, you can only get so much in. So it's, it's a, it's just a really cool piece. And, uh, I think you really like them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm really going to like, uh, the Gila hoodie for sure. Um, that leads me to a question of in your base layer, do you in essence wear a base layer anymore without a hoodie? It seems like I've gone to, if there's an option for a hoodie, it seems like I always check the box and, and want the, the, the product with, with the hoodie. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts because you're fair so, skin too, it, like I am. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I, I definitely, I don't, I don't tan, I burn. Um, <laughs> so I, I generally like either in a mid layer or a base layer, I want a hood. So a lot of times I like if I'm wearing a 145 Merino hoodie, which is, I, I actually, hunting that like more than i thought i would I, that's that's kind of re- I, I either use the 125 t or the 145 merino hoodie is kind of what i've used a, a, a lot and especially like animal fun last year super hot it was really dry in montana and i got out a few days and i was wearing the 145 just to just to get the sun off me and um but i yeah i i, I like you know t- two hoods max so whatever my system is you know and then out to rain gear but i you know, especially when it's hot out, I, I, I do like to have a, to have a, uh, to have a hood and, and, and these are great. I mean, this, this new piece is designed to warm next to skin dries extremely fast. Like, I mean, you, you, well, I went swimming in it a couple of weeks ago, we were, we were fishing and got basically a fell in and, and it's amazing how fast it dries and, and that's designed for. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a base layer. Okay. Next to skin. Now I do have to ask a question. It's 92% polyester and it is 8% spandex. As yep. a general rule of thumb, Kuyu has not used spandex Correct. in their gear, <laughs> but they yep. they are putting 8% in this particular product. My question would be, is that a matter of necessity? And because Correct. of the nature of the, this piece, you know, the, the, the pitch has always been anti-spandex, but talk to me about um, the 8% spandex and the necessity to have that in this piece. 
it needed the stretch. Like the, the, the application of this shirt needed that stretch. And we went through a ton of fabrics, getting it right. Um, and the nature of just like how you're going to wear it, how often you're going to wear it. Um, it definitely, um, it needed the stretch and, and especially to dry out super quick. So it's, um, it's a specific, um, fabric that we, and we went through a pile of different ones, you know, it's, it's, it, it, when you get them, like you'll see our, um, a 118 Peloton compared to this is, is definitely different because it's a different application where you, where you wear it and, and how it's going to fit is definitely a looser fit. Um, and it's more, it's an outer protection piece that is also a base layer. So that's, it needed it. Um, and when you see it, I've worn them a ton. Um, it's not like it gets funky any faster or anything like that, but it's, uh, yeah, I definitely needed the stretch. Um, and again, anybody that I can talk about it all day, when you, when you wear one, you'll, you'll understand. I, uh, the UPS guy showed up here today and I ran out over me and Poppy ran equally to the door as she always does. And it turns out it wasn't the, uh, Kuyu. Uh, coming, oh. but I'm excited because I have I don't know five or six of them coming, and I I'm gonna initially fish in all of them, and then as I start elk season, that probably will be the shirt that I wear mostly. And I've been wearing the 145 Ultramarino mainly because I like the the fact of of long sleeves, I like the fact of hoodie, and I like the fact that it's lightweight. Um, I am surprised, and a question: the Peloton. Uh, they don't offer the Peloton in a hoodie uh, option at all. Uh, uh, let because, me because, in, we had this, because we had this coming. Okay. I mean, the, the reason is we, we've actually messed with them. It's, it doesn't have the stretch to it. It's, it's not the ideal fabric. We actually built it originally out of that, and it, just, it was a little bit restrictive for what we wanted this to be. And so the reason that we don't is because, you know, and I think I, even on, your, on, your, uh, on the questions we used to do, I think a couple times we got that question – of why don't you make that in a hoodie? It's like, well, because this is common. Right. Um, so, like, I, I feel like an application that it's going to be used for and what you need it for um, will be, uh, you, you'll be super happy with it. And, like, I, I agree with you on the 145. And the other thing I like is, like, there's not any shine on that Merino piece either. It's very, very dead um, right. in the sun. I love um, that. So, which is, yeah, which is which is really nice. It, it it's very absorbs the sun instead of reflects it, so. And that was, you know, even on this piece, what we were really, you know, worked on is making it as low sheen as we could possibly make it and making it to where it, it took the, the Verde Vias and Velo, um, just like, you, you you know, it's just taking a long time to get it right. And we're, we're super happy with how it came out. Like, I, I love them. So that's awesome. Um, and it also makes me optimistic about the giant sombrero style, uh, big giant <laughs> hat that I keep asking for that maybe someday that will, that will uh, come to fruition as well. So I keep my okay. fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we got to keep stuff secret until it comes out. So I will, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> I'm sure. So, yeah. Um, I do have a question about warm weather gear. Now you have this, this Gila piece, you've got the Tiburon shirt, uh, with the dot air technology and you've yep. got the Peloton 118 and the 145 Merino. Um, there is a great, those are four great pieces of offerings from Kuyu in that warm weather style. With and, the, and the 125 Merino we have correct. also. And what the 125 yep. Merino. In that, in that vein, if you will, um, really heavy towards those people that are, have those warm weather hunts. There's a you know great offerings there in your opinion with this new gila 
you know, for say, you know, antelope hunting in late summer, you know, on the plains in, in, you know, the lower 48, uh, some of the archery hunts, say in Arizona, some of the, the warm archery hunt elk hunts, you know, across the Southwest, what do you feel like you might lean towards more? Um, or do you still feel like there's a certain application for each piece? Well, we, we want to give you the options. And, and basically, I think, you know, for what you're talking about, because I, I used actually the Gila a bunch last year, scouting goats, super high alpine up to 10,000 feet, you know, really hot days, lots of bugs. Like, it's really more protection than base layer. So I, I would look at that. Like, if you're wearing, you know, a mid-layer and stuff, like the 118 or the 125 are, are a really nice base layer that goes under something that's your, you know, kind of next to skin. Um, but when you're looking for you know, protection, but super lightweight, I would say the 145 Merino and the Gila are going to be comparable. And some people like Merino and some people like synthetic and, and you're now allowed, you, you now can have both. I, and again, I don't know this for a fact, but I mean, like the, I think the Gila has more sun protection, like true SPF, like I mean, it's true blocking. Plus. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then, then Merino does. Cause I think, you know, so it's, it's, it's just a slightly different application, but those two pieces are kind of interchangeable. The the is going to dry faster. The Gila is going to um, is going to give you give you a little more protection, and especially like yeah, like I said, I used a ton scouting for goat last year. And it was really hot, lots of bugs. The kind of weather where you don't want to wear a shirt, but you need to wear a shirt, right? You know, if that makes sense. Like it's so damn hot, or there's bugs, and or it's just you know like you're just getting burned to a crisp. You know, it's, 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 you know, lake, no t-shirt weather, but you're hiking, you're, you're, and, it, and it's got a looser fit and it dries super fast. So it's, it's just one of those pieces where, um, those, I, I feel like those two are going to be the go-to as, as like, I guess it's base layer. It's, it's like primary outerwear that you're not going to put anything over. It'd be the 145 and the, and the Gila. Right on. As I'm sitting here talking to you, um, my email is on my computer screen and literally it just popped up shipped order got the order number and the tracking number so it is on its way so i'm pumped about that brendan hopefully the guard the guard dog won't stop the ups yeah she's so vicious at seven and a half pounds (laughs) um okay looking forward here uh with the fall coming up uh what kind of plans do you have do you have anything you're eyeballing this summer late summer fall anything particular i am uh yeah i'm looking forward to i obviously you know, I, I didn't have any time to hunt elk in Montana last year at all. I just was, you know, between moose, goat, and elk in Wyoming. Which is just, kind of a first in a long, long time, right? First in a long time, yeah. Right. It was, uh, so I'm looking forward to, um, I, I got, I got you know, some some good stuff scouted out. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about elk hunting in Montana this year. And I don't like to have a ton of stuff. Like, that's, that's elk. I mean, that last year was kind of a rare occurrence. So elk, elk in Montana is coming. I've got... Um, as of right now, I've got an option on a sheep hunt if Canada is open uh, in the early August. I'm, I'm hoping that comes comes about. We'll see. Um, if not, I'll just spend a lot more time scouting. I'm taking Lucas Black Bear hunting up in Alaska next week, um, which is going to be super fun. He's, you know, he's uh, ready to go up and take his first black bear. So a buddy invited us up. We're going to go up and do a little black bear hunt for a week. And um, yeah, kind of kind of like everybody playing it by air. I haven't drawn anything yet. My Arizona application for uh, sheep and deer are in, and I haven't drawn one yet, but we'll see. So I'm, I'm kind of like got the normal stuff planned and here, and then uh, going to react to any luck that comes my way. But as far as as far as that goes, that's that's the plan. I'm uh, 
um, yeah, I mean, next spring I'm back into where I can hunt brown bear next spring, which I've got planned. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's been a long four year wait, uh, for that. And, uh, that's right now. That's about it. You know, my little guy's getting, he's getting kind of bigger in age. So a lot of stuff is skewed towards taking him out, you know, deer and all that stuff here. And you know, that, that's, that's kind of the plan. Uh, quick. How about you? What do you what do you got planned? Are you going to draw that Arizona elk tag this year, or are you just going to stack those points until you're the last guy in the max pool? Yeah, I'll be the oldest, grayest guy still standing. Um, I looked. I have 20 points for deer, and I have, uh, I believe, 19 points for elk. And so this year with Arizona and the drought that it's in, I just went ahead and did preference point for elk, so I did not draw. And then I'm going to wait. I'm hoping, you know, I, I'm applying for um, my application is in for sheep for arizona uh but i went ahead and went the preference point route uh, the bonus point route for deer just figuring i was close enough to the max point that you know with the drought i, w- I wanted to wait till a year where there was a chance to kill a really good buck um but i do have a question going back to the uh brown bear um with all of the covid stuff what is lance saying about um the bear you know alaska and and how the bear season went this year well alaska they they were you know they they basically missed you know spring of 20 they missed and so they they you know refigured there was didn't they they double up though and 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 do allow them to do two seasons or something they, well it's normally every other year spring every other fall like that and so they they did allow them to double up but it's not going to make a difference. The same guys were hunting the same bears. Um, I think Alaska is going to be just fine. I mean, that's obviously, I, and, and like I, I can tell anybody, the number of hunts that are available in North America, because let, let's look at this too, like New Zealand is shut down. It's really a pain to travel anywhere internationally. Russia, Mongolia, I think Tajikistan is the only country that, that's open. Kyrgyzstan is going to open, but there, there's like the number of hunts that were canceled in the last year internationally, like, Basically, everything in the lower 48 in Alaska, where travel's pretty reasonable, is is basically sold. Like, if you don't have a hunt sold right now, it must not be that good of a hunt. So, just the demand is going to be through the roof on all that stuff. It's it's like, if you're thinking about hunting sheep in the next five years, you should get it booked now for down the road. Because I just, I, the, like I said, the, the, the number of guys that got bumped and the people that are like, wow, you know, that kind of sucked in a whole year. I couldn't, you know, I really wanted to do that. It was on my list. Now I'm right. actually going to do it. I Right. I believe the number of people booking hunts is higher right now and everything in, in, in North America being, you know, the United States, you know, and in Mexico is just booked. So it's, it's just a matter of like supply and demand. There's just so many people that want to go hunting and, you know, just the, the economy is really good right now. Everybody's got a lot of money. Um, a lot of people are working for home, from home. They've got more free time. They've got, you know, built up, you know, like, I mean, there's a lot of people haven't taken a vacation in two years. There's a lot more vacation time built up. It's like, it's not one thing that's driving all this. It's a combination of everything. And, you know, the market's through the roof. Like, there's a lot more money out there. Like, people are like, oh, I'm going to use it for, and just having been restricted, I think people are just, they're just dying to go somewhere. So it's just like, we, you know, you and I talk all the time, Airbnb stuff and the real estate stuff and all that. Like, it's just, it's not one thing. It's everything that's leading to, you know, I mean, I think you were telling, you know, obviously I've got one here in Montana and you've got yours a bunch in Arizona, but there's nothing to even be rented to live in. It's right. crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think people are just, leave, you know, just, just dying to get out. 
Yep, for sure. Absolutely. Well, Brendan, it's been awesome uh, chatting with you here. Um, look forward to the next Conservation Direct project. Uh, look forward to these uh, new Gila products coming here to my house. Uh, I'm actually down here in Idaho doing a little fishing near the Henry's Fork. Uh, and then I'll be headed to Colorado here in July and uh, look forward to get back to the Ot Six Ranch and and get some cameras going and do some scouting. How's the water? How's the water really looking down good. there? Really good. Really yeah, good. Actually, um, we've got really good spring rains, um, and it's probably going to be the first year since we've been there in 2017 where we actually have really good green up, really good green feed, and so there's a handful of bulls that I'm excited to see if. Uh, you know if they can really pour it on um and it will be a kind of a good test to see if you know because some of these uh junes when i've showed up there early july's uh just lack of moisture you know summer rains and such just not a lot of feed i'll be curious to see if if with what i think is going to happen if they can really um you know, push forward with their antlers and, and see if we can have a really good season. So there's a handful of bulls that should be really good. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but it's always great having you on the podcast and um, always great talking to you, buddy. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Like I said, with just circling back on the conservation thing, like as soon as we can announce um, where to sign up, participation, both financially and as a uh, uh, participation as far as uh, showing up in person or donating labor, all that stuff. Like, uh, we, we will announce it first on the J. Scott podcast because I, uh, I'm not trying to be deceptive or anything. It's just I, I we all want to make sure everything's going to go before we announce it because I just like not being able to get working and having people plan stuff. We're just going to bypass all that until it's until it's a green light, 100, percent and then. We'll announce it, but we'll uh, we'll definitely let everybody know on well uh, you first. And, so. and the thing that's cool too, anybody out there listening, I mean, Brendan, you can hear the passion in his voice, and and nothing against any other conservation organization, but Brendan has made it abundantly clear that he wants to take that money and put it absolutely directly into a project, just like what they did with the guzzler, just like what they did with the transplant. So if you want to see your dollars go straight into something that, that wildlife is benefiting from, uh, definitely check out Conservation Direct. Uh, check out the website. And Brendan, it's always great having you on the podcast. I look forward to chatting at you down the road here. Um, and uh, other than that, man, God bless. Okay? Yeah, have a good one. Thanks again, Jay. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, bye.